Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. You know, if you have been to the pub recently, and I have, and you've been a designated driver, and I have, you may have noticed a quiet revolution in Britain's pubs, which is that alcohol-free beer has become nice to drink. And one of the brands you may have seen in the pubs that is certainly delicious to drink is Lucky Saint. And Lucky Saint is different to some of the other alcohol-free brands in that you can enjoy the full pub experience. It is available in some bars, around 400 or so, on tap. And this genius change has made people who are driving or who just do not want to drink that day enjoy pub life a lot more. And I'm delighted to say that we have with us today Emily Laws, who is head of brand at Lucky Saint, and Liz Buchanan, her colleague, who is supply and operations director at the same brand. Emily, Liz, how are you? Great, thank you. Thanks for having us on. It's great to have you on and great to have such an innovative brand on the show with us today. Emily, I'll start with you. When you started this idea, first of all, where did the concept come from? What were the tools that you used to get to where you are today? What were the challenges you had when you tried to persuade Brits that an on-tap alcohol-free beer would be a good idea? So the brand was started in 2018 by our founder, Luke. Um, And at the time, he found the idea of alcohol-free beer really attractive, you know, getting the chance to have your favourite drink, but without the alcohol. But actually, the reality he found really disappointing. Um, And he couldn't find a brand that he felt proud to have in his fridge or proud to order at the bar. He was always kind of ordering under his breath when he wanted an alcohol-free beer. Or pubs just didn't have them at all. Um, So he decided to create Lucky Saint. Um, And what followed was two years of research and development until he finally created Lucky Saint with our Bavarian brewery. Um, It launched in 2018. I've been with the brand for almost three years now so quite close to the beginning Um, and during that time obviously Covid hit which was a really challenging and interesting um, time for us as a brand. I think to answer your question around how we persuade Brits to drink alcohol-free beer it's been really interesting having been here for three years now. I think the first event that I ever did with Lucky Saint we went to a craft beer festival And we literally had people laughing in our face when we were trying to sample them alcohol-free beer. Yeah, literally laughing in our face. We were put right at the entrance. It was a Manchester Craft Beer Festival and we were the first thing people saw as they came in. And obviously they were really excited to get drunk and we were there saying, would you like to try our alcohol-free beer? But three years on, the last event that I did with Lucky Saint, people were really pleased to see us. And I think that shift in people's attitudes has been amazing to see um, and is now like really pervasive. You know, it's not this niche trend anymore that people don't drink. It's something that I think 55% of UK adults plan to moderate next year. So it's tipped over the edge. It's no longer a minority. It's actually over half of UK adults are planning on moderating. And certainly for us, we target those moderators. You know, teetotalers are really important to us, but they're a small amount of people, whereas moderators represent millions and millions of people across the UK. And actually, when it comes to the pub, People are really pleased to see us in there on draft, as you've alluded to. Um, And I think the main thing is that during COVID, you know, the thing that we missed wasn't the alcohol. 
it was the social connection and that lucky saying we believe the social connection is the greatest reward of drinking not the alcohol the bit that you missed was sitting with your friends in a pub it wasn't booze we all had access to plenty of booze during lockdown and so I think since the on-trade has opened again we've really seen things skyrocket for us in terms of our draft taps because people want to go to the pub and socialize but they don't always want to drink. What I mean was that People couldn't wait for the pubs to open after COVID so they could start drinking less. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was really interesting at the beginning of COVID, and I include myself in this, you know, everybody started drinking more and it was lots yeah. of Zoom quizzes and a glass of wine on a Wednesday when we all thought that it was going to last a couple of weeks and it felt quite novel. But I think as COVID dragged on and we realised that actually this was going to go on for a long time, people started to really look after their health. Um, and so the no and low trend really kicked off at home, but we can see that coming into the on-trade now. And we've got a sales team of almost 20 people. And as you say, over nearly 400 draft accounts, thousands of accounts on bottle. Um, and it's really skyrocketed. And I think in part, thanks to the pandemic and people's attitudes towards drinking and their health changing. I recently was at Big Festival and we had so many people coming over to us and sharing their stories about how they've really reduced their drinking um and now lucky saint is part of their repertoire you know they still do enjoy a drink and there was one stat that i found really interesting that people who drink alcohol are more likely to drink alcohol free beer than people yeah. who don't drink because you get a taste for it because the great thing about the modern generation of alcohol free beer we should say other brands are available lucky saint is one of the best that I've tried is that the taste is there and great marketing only works with great fundamentals. And you've really got two great fundamentals which make up your strategy as far as I can see. One is you have a product that tastes great, whereas the previous generation of alcohol-free beers did not taste great. And second, you've managed to encapsulate and grasp the experience of going to the pub and actually ordering a pint. And I think that's the real genius in this particular product. I think what's really important is to be proudly alcohol free. You know, lots of alcohol free beers um, are alcohol free versions of alcoholic products, which has its place. And that's absolutely fine. But I think what's really special about Lucky Saint is that we're proudly a dedicated alcohol free brand. And when it comes to the way we show up in a pub, we've got these amazing um, gold and blue fonts that we put proudly on the bar. We have amazing glassware. You know, it's the full draft experience. It's not something that bars are kind of hiding in a fridge somewhere covered in dust. They're really proudly displaying it on their bar. Um, we're also part of the British Beer um, and Pub Association, which has been going for about 116 years. And we were the first alcohol-free beer to be welcomed into the association. So it's not that we're kind of fighting a, a battle against pubs. We're really being welcomed with open arms. And I think that that's been really special and, and been received really well. But I think part of it is people feeling really proud to go up to a bar and, and order a Lucky Saint rather than feeling like they have to order it under their breath or, or feel embarrassed that they've got it in their hand. If you've got a pint in your hand, you, you feel like everybody else. You don't feel yeah. like you're compromising. That's right. It's, there's no compromise there. And it, it completely transformed the experience. You've lent into pub culture. You've become part and parcel of that external pub culture. What about internally? How's your company culture led to where you've brought Lucky Saying today? So I think I've been really fortunate and, and Liz as well. We've been here from very close to the beginning. So we've really been able to be part of creating the culture 
that we see today in the business, which is about 50 strong now. When I started three years ago, I think there were five of us. So it's really exploded. We have three internal values that, that we sort of live by as a business. And those are be generous, stay humble and get lucky. And we really live and breathe these values and, and we talk about them all the time. They're in our roles and goals and our objectives. We talk about them every Monday in our Monday morning meeting, team meeting. Stay humble, I think, is one of the most important ones. And to me, that means that in a startup, it's intense. It's hard work and it's great fun, but it, it is hard work. And staying humble is really all about if you've done something wrong, being open to feedback and I think that's one of the most special things about this business is that feedback is encouraged and welcomed in our weekly one-to-ones with our managers. It's we we have an engagement multiplier survey every quarter where we get to feedback anonymously. And an example of of where this has worked is is not so much in feeding back in in things that aren't being done well. It's more feeding back on things that have the best intentions but actually aren't working in a way that the person who implemented might think they are. So for example, we had learning lunches um, implemented where we had amazing speakers coming in and, and um, giving really inspirational talks. But actually, in terms of people's mental health, and especially when we were working from home, lunchtime was the one opportunity they had to go for a walk, stretch their legs, enjoy lunch. And actually, that was being taken up by, yes, inspirational talks and amazing kind of people. But actually, people were really missing out on that time. Um, And that was fed back and it was changed. And now those inspirational talks are brunches, not lunches, and they're done within our working hours. So I think that's really important. A lot of businesses, you know, mental health is such a hot topic and people mean really well. But you've got to think, like, what are things that are actually going to improve people's mental health and don't just sound good on LinkedIn? Um, one of our team asked if we could have summer Fridays in August where we finished at 3 p.m. And it was signed off and, and it implemented immediately. So I think that idea of kind of staying humble, being generous, knowing that it is an intense place to work and we have to listen and ask for feedback and not expect everybody to just pat us on the back when we try to implement something that we think is good. I'm just going to loop back to your case study of the Manchester Craft Beer Festival, where yes. you were actively laughed at. You know, people thought you were, <laughs> the, the implication of that is that people thought you were completely mad to try and uh, make a, a proudly alcohol-free beer that was going to go into pubs and restaurants nationwide. Three years later, it's now almost a stalwart of the pub scene. To get from Manchester to today... You've presumably had to engender some real values in your business about a strong feedback culture because startups are going to make mistakes. And if you haven't got people challenging them on a daily basis, you're not going to be able to get it right, particularly when you're trying something which, as I said, would seen as almost insane by many beer drinkers three years ago. I think you have to have a team of people that are truly excited and passionate about the product and about what you're doing, especially when you're a disruptive category and you're a disruptive brand within that category. You have to have people that are your evangelists and are going to go out there and and be convincing in what what they're telling people and, and, you know, spreading the good news about your brand because they truly believe in it. And I think you can't have people who truly believe in a brand or a business unless you treat them really well and and treat them like part of the journey. Um, You know, one of the things in our business is that everyone has um, share options, for example. And I think that's so motivating and it really feels like we're part of something. Um, And I agree, you know, we it isn't easy. You think sometimes you feel a bit like, you know, one of those um, 
chuggers on the street who are trying to convince people to donate to places at the beginning it did feel a bit like that but what's really motivating as well is that we're part of something that we can really see in real time society's attitudes are changing and you know three years isn't really a huge amount of time but actually attitudes have changed so much and and to be able to see that in real time and feel like you're being part of it I think is really really motivating you see yourself as a purpose-led brand. That's a phrase I've heard you use before. It's a it's a word that's sort of banded around, perhaps a little bit too liberally, purpose in business at the moment. But you've got a fairly strong case for that, haven't you? I mean, there's lots of situations, I think, where a business person might spot an opportunity and say, OK, there's an alcohol-free trend going. I'm going to start an alcohol-free brand. But if that's your motivation, I think you're going to fall at the first hurdle. I think for us, being purpose-led means that we've identified a consumer problem, that people love the social occasion of drinking, they love the taste of beer, but they don't always want to drink alcohol. And actually, when you look at other European markets, like somewhere like Germany, alcohol-free beer in Germany, which a lot of people find surprising, is actually really popular and really pervasive. And it's because it's the culture of having a beer with friends that's the important thing. It's not the alcohol content. Um, So we've identified this consumer problem and our purpose is to inspire the world to drink better. And when you think like that, instead of thinking of it as a business opportunity or thinking in terms of numbers, you start to behave completely differently as a brand. So you, you look at your product and you make sure you're using the best ingredients and that it's tasting the best and you don't cut any corners. You think about, you know, the customer service that you offer people and on Liz's team, um, we've got people who offer amazing customer service. You start to think about the partners that you have. You know, you don't just partner with people because you think that, you know, they're going to cut you a good deal. You partner with people who you feel are really going to get your message across and really share your values. There's a really great quote by a guy called Mark Cox from a book called The Business Case for Love. And it says that if the company focuses on the number, it never gets there because the number takes over all behavior. But if you focus on what you believe in and you focus on the right products and you focus on the employee experience and the customer experience, you get to the number. And I think that's such a brilliant quote because If you only think about numbers, you might start discounting things, you might start cutting corners, and then your brand reputation fails and nobody's interested in drinking your product anymore. Whereas if you focus on making sure the employees really believe in what they're doing, making sure the product is fantastic, making sure, like I say, you know, it costs us much more to have an amazing draft font on the bar, but it's worth it because it's all about this purpose of inspiring people to drink better. If you focus on the number, you're not going to succeed. Whereas if you focus on your purpose and that goes across not just your product, but the people in your business as well and the way that we all behave, you get there. So you've got a collective internal purpose and that's helped you build the brand from zero to hero brand really, really now. But externally, there's a there's a larger goal that you're aiming for, which is B Corp status, isn't there, Les Buchanan? And firstly, for some people, some of our audience will know what B Corp status is, and some of them will not. So broadly, what is that and why are you aiming for it? Yeah, so um, a B Corp, B Corporation, um, is a company that's been certified by B Labs as one that has uh, really high standards um, across uh, their five impact areas. So there's governance. So that's how you work with your stakeholders, um, how you do financial reporting and transparency. Uh, workers, so what you offer your workers, how fair you are. 
um, environment, which is obviously a big part of my role. Um, then there's customers, so how you operate with your customers, customer stewardship, quality, that kind of thing. And then community, which is a massive area. So that's all of the stakeholders that you work with. So um, it's a really robust process to become a B Corp. It's taken, like you say, well, we're in the verification process now. And it's taken, I've been working on it for two and a bit years. Um, but what's really great about B Corp is it's not like you, you get the stamp um, and then you sit on your laurels. There is a recertification process every three years. So the expectation in that time is that you keep working on your points in the background with the view that you're improving each of those areas um, every three years. So, yeah, it's a really robust process. I mean, that's a tough regimen that you've got to go through, and it's an ongoing regimen that you've got to go on through, alongside all of the other tough challenges you've had to bring yourself up from startup to established brand. Why did you decide to go into this when you didn't necessarily have to do so? Our managing director, Emma Hill, decided that she uh, we want, she wanted Lucky Saint to be a B Corp um, in 2020. Um, and I started in the company in the September of that year. So I've been working on it um, ever since I started. Um, it's a really aspirational journey to become better in each of those five in, in impact areas. Um, and that's why we wanted to do it. A lot of people will say that becoming a B Corp may end up becoming a hygiene factor. So it's like a level of expectation. But it's certainly something that we'll still really celebrate because it is a really robust, rigorous process. It's completely opened my eyes to sustainability. Yeah. I probably was incredibly um, naive slash ignorant um, of sustainability in the past and the impact that we're having on the world. But um, I couldn't be more delighted to work on it and talk about it and just be an advocate of it any time I can. It's amazing that you've, you've chosen to take on that challenge. And Emily, when you're marketing, when you're thinking about marketing as part of this prism, how does it play into the conversation? The one, while Liz was just talking, I was thinking about one of our other kind of mantras that we talk about is doing the right thing well. And I think for us, becoming a B Corp is the right thing to do. Um, and when it comes to our marketing, I think we'll proudly tell everyone about the fact that we're a B Corp. Um, but actually, it's less about pushing it as a kind of um, unique uh, selling point for our, for our beer. Um, we actually want to encourage all the businesses that we know and are in our network to do the same and kind of be a bit of a um, leader in that sense and, and help anybody who needs help on that journey because we've had lots of help along the way from from really generous people um, who've given us their time and their expertise. So I think when it comes to how we're going to communicate this um, in our marketing, it's it's not going to be a sort of campaign um, because that feels a little disingenuous. Um, I think what it will be is just being really transparent about all the things that we've learned. So rather than just stamping everything with B Corp. We really want to be transparent with our um, newsletter database on our website and share all the information that we've we found out about our business and the way that we do things um, and keep people up to date. Um, so it's really about our kind of Lucky Saint community and showing them what we've learned along the way rather than just stamping everything with B Corp and, and you know, putting a smiley face emoji on it and, and being really proud of ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, because there's always ways that we can improve. There's always more B Corp points that we could get. Um, and it's really about just sharing the journey with people and showing them that no matter how small a business or how big a business you are, you can always be better. It's not a marketing campaign. 
it's something that we want to share across the board in everything that we do and make that information really easily accessible. It's a great to have and it's a great story to tell, even if, as you say, it's a sort of a background story rather than a direct overt marketing campaign. But have you had any direct business benefits from going down this path, would you say? Remember that we are still on the journey. So um, we pressed go live um, on the B Corp website in uh, the 28th of February. And we're just now, hopefully, just at the end of the verification process. So it's a long process. There was a big gap in the middle when not much was happening. Um, and then it's really gathered pace in the last couple of months. So we're not th- there yet. But I mean, the, the benefit that we've seen really has been about the, you know, the journey and the process. Um, so I say it's really opened our eyes to the positive impact that we can have. We're still, you know, we're still taking small steps. We don't have a massive team that's working on this behind the scenes. But, you know, what we've identified is the areas where we can make really positive change. And because we're quite small, we can, you know, we can do them quite quickly. So, for example, this is an example that's aligned to our business as it's growing. If somebody on our website had ordered 24 bottles of Lucky Saint, what they would have got was two of the 12 pack that would have been in another bigger box. And what we've done is as our business has grown and it's been you know, demonstrated that actually it's the right thing to do is to remove that external packaging. What we've done is we've re-engineered a cardboard box to hold 24 bottles. It's robust enough to go through, you know, the DHL Hermes um, carrier networks, um, kind of lightweighted it a bit. And by doing that, as our business has grown, I've got a little stat. This is one of my favourites about a cardboard packaging weight reduction. is 5.6 tonnes, which is 5.6 adult polar bears. So it puts into context, you know, just on that one box, that's what we've been able to do. You say 5.6 tonnes per year on weight. Just that one skew. You know, it gives me carte blanche to be a little bit devil's advocate and say, do we really need this packaging? Could we do it like Mm -hmm. this? Um, But that's something that's permeating across the whole of the business. I think also what you're asking about kind of how it feeds into our marketing we also share these things along the way with our customers so when we did make this change to the box we put um a bit of extra information in our in our emails to those customers to say you're going to be seeing this new box this is why it saves this much to bring attention to the fact that we are making these changes so the other thing that i would encourage brands who are starting to go on this journey to become a b corp is that it's not a kind of final destination and as liz says you have to keep every three years going through the process again so it shouldn't be seen as something that you get you put a stamp on it you put it out on linkedin and you pat yourself on the back it's a process and it's there's nothing wrong with sharing that process along the way you don't have to wait till you're completely certified to you feel that you're absolutely perfect in every single area before you start talking about it to your customers you can start talking about it right away and we have and we've also asked for feedback from them what is this how did the box turn up at your house how you know ask them to feel involved in that especially our customers who are our subscribers and and um are feel like part of the team anyway so I think that's that's another part of I suppose how we use it in our in our brand marketing is that we're not scared to talk about it now. It's a triple benefit. You've saved on the weight and the carriage, so there's an environmental benefit. Your your customers are presumably happy because no customers like excess packaging. You know, we spend too much of our time chucking stuff away and recycling uh, things that weren't necessarily necessary. But also, it's given you a little bit of a marketing hit, Emily, too, because you've been able to say to your customers, this is why we're doing it. And this is why you've seen a change in your packaging when these things come through your door. 
there must have been challenges on the way. I know you're heading towards certification, but there must have been challenges on your way, Liz, that you have had to overcome. So I think the biggest challenge has been uh, how long it's taken us to get to uh, the po this point in verification. Um, so as Emily said, we want to do things well, so we've not scrimped on any of the work that we've done to get to this point. And that's been a challenge alongside um, busy day jobs in a startup. Um, so I think the, the biggest challenge has been working, finding time to work on it consistently um, and moving forward. Um, yeah, alongside a very busy startup where we've had priorities to face into um, in terms of the business. We've got a large audience here, but many of whom will be interested on becoming a B Corp. Are there any tips you can give them from your experience? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So I think go on to the B Corp website and register. Get to understand from there um, what great sources of information there are on the movement and the process. And it's very inspirational. If you come off that website without thinking that there's positive impact you can have in your business, I'd be really surprised. Once you've registered, you start completing their business impact assessment across those five particular areas. So customers, communities, workers, environment and governance. And just see where you get to with your points. So for context, when Lucky Saint started that process, we got to 40 points. And if you remember, you need 80 to become a B Corp. So we had some work to do, and that's what we've been working on over the last couple of years. So but once you start to use the tool and understand you know, how you've answered the questions, you can see the positive impact that you've had. Um, and I think understand how you can prioritise to do it. So for example, Lucky Saint doesn't have its own manufacturing facilities. So that meant that under environment, that there was limited leeway for us to get points compared to somebody who does have their own facilities. So therefore, we put more effort into some of the things that we could do for the team under workers. Um, so I think one of the quickest things that we did was to change our articles of association. It was absolutely the right thing to do to, you know, to tell everybody that we um, were balancing, you know, people, profit and the planet. And then we've been able to be advocates there for um, for the Better Business Act. Um, so I think, yeah, just in terms of them working through it, I think consider your team, consider if you can getting some external support in terms of just how to prioritise things. Um, we worked with um, two great companies or organisations, which I understand not all companies will have the benefit of doing, but I would, I would suggest that in terms of the amount of time it could save you, it would be really good. Um, and if I can give them a little plug, <laughs> there are many companies out there that, uh, that would be available. Um, yes. <laughs> Greenheart Business have been really fantastic for us, helping us to understand what's important to us, running some internal workshops and helping us work through, you know, you know, the BIA process. Um, and then Olivia Anderson, um, we've been working with her. She's got a fantastic personal interest in sustainability and she's actually had a fantastic career working, recruiting sustainability gurus into companies. She's been working with us on things like writing some of our policies and processes, um, uh, things like ESG policy. She's been really great with doing some of our carbon accounting and that kind of thing. I mean, it strikes me you could quite easily put lots of effort in and not get very far. I mean, if you don't ask the right questions at the right time and also determine which areas of your business you've got the capacity to, to improve. Yeah, absolutely. But equally, you know, I think I always reference um, there was one company that became a B Corp last year um, called U Underwear. There's a team of three people who have uh, got 160 points and they have got that 
through the way that they are organised. They are essentially set up as like a social enterprise. So everything that they do in terms of their manufacture, their selling, everything is completely aligned to making a positive impact. What we try and struggle with sometimes is the retrofitting of some things. Um, so I think if your business is fundamentally set up for good, that's how, equally how you leapfrog on some of the points. That's interesting, isn't it, Emily? That actually you've got to set it up for good. You've got to start from the right place. You've got to start from, as you like to use this phrase, purpose-led. And if businesses are listening today who want to frame themselves as a purpose-less business, do you have any tips how you start that process before you get to the B Corps and all the rest of it? One of the first steps that we took to defining our purpose and our values was that we sent out a questionnaire to all of our team at the time was probably about 15 people but we also sent it out to several people that we worked with agencies uh, investors and asked them what do you think our purpose should be what would make you feel proud to work with or for Lucky Saint and we asked them a series of questions and we got back some really amazing answers and I think that's where our values have come from and that's why it's not been difficult to implement them in the team because the team came up with them Um, and so the team really believe in them because we wrote them as a collective and I think that's a really good place to start don't feel like you've got to do it locked away in a quiet room just as a founder on your own ask the people that work in your business every day because they might come up with some really surprising and brilliant answers Um, I think with becoming a B Corp as Liz said you know it's a process it's not a final destination Um, and what's been really nice about how much that journey has been shared with the team whether that's through updates in our Monday morning meeting or through involving different um, parts of of the business is that people are starting to think it's almost self-fulfilling so now we're all thinking is that the most sustainable way of doing something so we're making it easier for ourselves when we do have to kind of be reassessed in three years time because now everyone knows that we're a B Corp they take it really seriously so one example is that you know we've got our dry January campaign coming up and we've really asked ourselves okay do we need printed POS that's going to have dry January on it and therefore will only be relevant for a month that's not very sustainable so let's not do that let's create things that are going to last a long time and, and that can last all year or actually let's not create them at all and think about other ways that we can get our brand out there so because the team feel involved, they are already factoring that into their decision making. And so hopefully that will make Liz's job far easier in a few years time. Um, but I think if you want to become a purpose led business, you just you probably already are. If you're having that thought, you probably already are a purpose led business. You just haven't articulated it yet. So it's just starting to articulate it. I, I Yeah, I think if you're asking the question, how do we become purpose led? You probably have more of a purpose than you think. Stop the questions to help you frame something which is already in there, but you need to articulate it. You've asked the right questions at the right time. You've made the good decisions at the right time over the last three years to get where you are today. Apart from the consultants that you've already mentioned, which is Green Heart Business and Olivia Anderson, what other resources have you drawn upon that others might be able to benefit from if they're going on a similar journey? really so great about the B Corp community um, is how generous they are um, in sharing their personal journeys um, and you know the the hints and tips on things that they've fallen foul to, failings, rabbit warrens that they've gone down through their own processes. Um, 
So all of the B Corps um, in the UK are listed on the website. And I think really, if you reached out to any of them, they'd be really happy. Part of being a B Corp, being an advocate for the movement. So I think they'd be really happy to talk to you. We've also, you know, we've got a great network of ex-colleagues and people in industry uh, and industry associations and things like that that we've been able to lean on as well. It can be done, Emily, and it can be done quite quickly, as you have proved, if you draw on the right resources and ask the right questions at the right time. Yeah, I think just start somewhere. You know, you can't get there unless you start. So especially if you're a small business, I think there's really no excuse, (laughs) to be honest, to not do it. And it's better to do it now than than five years time when you're much bigger and you've got um, a lot more uh ground to cover and and questions to ask so i would i would just start um and if you're a much bigger business i think there's no harm in being an advocate if you're listening to this as an individual and you do work in a really big business then be that advocate and go and talk to someone and see if you can influence them and and start that journey Um, i think in the future to be honest it as we say it won't be unique anymore and that's the hope um, people and businesses will know the impact that they're having and make improvements where necessary. So it's going to be something that you're going to have to do in the future. So why not do it now and, and get started? And, and you know, as Liz says, it's taken nearly three years for us. Um, but once it's done, you know, we, we, we now are much more aware of the questions we need to ask. And hopefully the process will be easier next time and, and we'll have more points. And we wouldn't want to put people off by saying it's taken us three years. This is as we have meandered a little bit on our journey. I think uh, all companies get put on a, um, some generalised tracks. So whether you are a service provider or a manufacturer, a certain set of questions will open up to you. So it's really, really relevant to um, to what you're doing. A service provider who's not involved in so much impact in the environment, for example, um, could really race through um, and get certified a lot easier than us. So um, yeah, don't take three years as something that puts people off. Also, if you putting the sort of brand of B Corp to one side, why wouldn't you want to improve in those five areas? I think a lot of people think B Corp is environmental, but it's also, as we've said, about the people who work in your business. It's about your product. It's about your communication. Why wouldn't you want to review all of those things? And it holds you to account to do that. So I think it, it's undeniably a good thing to do inspiring words a great call to action ladies thank you very much indeed for your time and insights today i know that our audience will lap it all up it's some great advice and i hope to see you again on the cim podcast very soon indeed thank you very much thanks for having us if you've enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe to the cim marketing podcast on your platform of choice if you're listening on apple podcasts please leave us a rating and review we'd love to hear your feedback CIM Marketing Podcast.